You can have the best agreement in the world, something that covers you in all sorts of ways. But that all means nothing if you don't implement your agreement correctly, if you don't get it accepted correctly, if you don't manage your customer's expectations from the outset. Want to learn how to implement? Listen up. Hey, it's Brad Gross coming at you with another Technology Bradcast. If you're a service provider and you want to learn some things, give me a few minutes. You're going to learn a lot. Welcome to another episode of the Technology Bradcast. I'm your host, Brad Gross, and I have advised well over 6,000 MSPs in best practices to negotiate MSP agreements, draft those agreements, and, as we're going to talk about today, implement those agreements. Implement. It's important. Practicing in this area day in and day out, I see lots of things, bad agreements, mismanaged expectations, services that don't align with the contracts that are based on, and the reverse, contracts that don't properly describe the services being delivered. But every now and then, there will be a situation where the MSP has a great contract. I mean, it covers legal, it covers reality, it manages expectations, you know, like Something I would write. If you're a client, you know what I'm talking about, but I digress. So, we have a great agreement. And then, something gets lost in translation. What do I mean by that? I mean, in the company's zeal to get the deal in the door, something happens that renders the agreement meaningless, or maybe close to meaningless. I call that the lost in translation syndrome because it describes a situation where an MSP starts out with a great agreement and we'll call that starting point A. Then services begin and a few months later or maybe a few years later, there's a problem that requires the MSP to look back at the agreement. We'll call that stopping point B. And at stopping point B, we realize that something bad has happened. Great agreement, but a bad situation. What might a bad situation be? Well, one might be that the MSP never did what it needed to make the agreement enforceable. Like, you know, make sure the client accepted the agreement. You see, a great agreement means nothing if the customer never actually accepts it. And I see this kind of thing all the time. An MSP has a great agreement, but lo and behold, the sales team never got the customer to sign it. Or the MSP posts the agreement but doesn't actually check to make sure that the link to the agreement was working. Or that the agreement was actually posted at the link. Or sometimes an MSP will let the customer know that its agreement is posted but does so in a confusing way. Like the MSP might have a five-page quote followed by a signature block. But then that's followed by a sixth page. That pesky sixth page on which the MSP tells the customer for the first time that there's a master services agreement. And oh yeah, that agreement binds the customer to the terms and conditions. Well, those are bad situations. Those are situations that cost you money. Why? Because if your customer didn't know about the agreement, or if your customer can reasonably argue that it wasn't told about the agreement, or if your customer can persuasively claim that it never accepted the agreement, then the MSP might not be able to enforce the agreement. And where does that leave you? Well, it probably leaves you with whatever you said in the quote. Whatever you offered to your customer in that quote, in which you listed your services, your prices, and not much else. Well, that's what you're going to be stuck with. And you know what's probably not in that quote? You know what's not in there? Things like 
50 increases. You know, the provisions that allow you to raise your fees if your upstream provider raises its fees. How about minimum terms? Your quote might say something like, the fees reflect a one-year commitment, or the fees are for a 12-month term. Of course, that doesn't say that the customer must continue with your services for 12 months. It only says that the prices reflect a 12-month term discount. So now the customer calls you and says, I want out. After three months, he wants out. You say, it's a 12-month term. The customer says, I didn't agree to that. You point to the quote and you say, look, the prices say 12-month term. Customer says, that's a 12-month discount. So just charge me the non-discounted price and I'm out. Now what? Now you have a problem. Oh, wait, there's there's more stuff that was left out of your quote, right? Like limitations of liability, the come hell or high water provisions that protect your company from potentially company-ending liability if something goes wrong. Is that in your quote? No, and it shouldn't be. Is it in your master's, master agreement? Oh, you know, hopefully yes, but that's the document that your customer says he or she never accepted. So does it exist? Hmm, at an hourly rate? Attorneys will argue that question for a very long time, all on your dime. What about the provisions that tell the customer that you don't guarantee absolute perfection? That, you know, you don't guarantee bad things won't happen. That you don't control upstream providers. What about that stuff? That's the stuff that protects you. But because a bad thing happened in the sales process at the outset, those things don't exist in your business relationship. So, what do we do about this? How do you avoid this from happening, and what if it's already happened? Can you go back and retroactively enforce an agreement that the customer will claim he or she never saw? Before I answer that, I want to just leave you with a little bit of a cliffhanger and remind you that I will be in your neighborhood over the next few months. Next month, I'll be in Kansas City, and in April, I'll be in Chicago. May, I'll be in Boston, and in June, Long Beach, California. If you're nearby... You want to chat? Drop me a line. Okay, let's talk about being lost in translation, or more specifically, let's talk about how to avoid having a good agreement turn bad. To do this, I'm going to tell you a few rules, four rules to be precise, four rules that you need to follow to avoid a lost in translation moment, to make sure that your contracts are executed and that nothing is lost from starting point A to stopping point B. Rule number one, everyone accepts your master agreement. Everyone. Inherent in this rule is the idea that you don't touch a network or install anything on a device until and unless your client has affirmatively accepted the terms and conditions of your MSA. Now, I know, you think, okay, this is just a small job, right? I can just do this uh, small job and I'll get the customer to sign the MSA later, right? Wrong. Wrong for at least two reasons. First, you might screw something up or be accused of screwing something up when doing even the smallest, simplest job. And the finger is going to be pointed at you. And at that point, you're going to wish that you had the protections of your MSA in place. Second, by introducing the MSA early, you set the stage for the future. 
You make it clear that your company operates at all times with an MSA in place. You avoid the situation where you start to do minor tasks without an MSA and then spring it on the customer when things get serious, when things get real. Set expectations up front and get that MSA accepted up front at starting point A, which is when you touch a system. Rule number two, don't hide the existence of your master agreement. Now, Inherent in this rule is the idea that you don't do anything to make the existence of your MSA ambiguous or vague. Put another way, it must be clear and unambiguous that your MSA exists. You can do that in several ways, but one very good way uh, uh, to do this is to open up your quote or your statement of work by saying, this document is governed under the terms of our master services agreement. Then tell them where that document is if it's posted or give them the date on which they signed it. However, however you choose to do it, just make it clear. Identify the document. Another way to do it is to put the same notice above the signature block so that the customer would really have no choice but to see the notice when he or she accepts the document. Be sure that the size of the typeface in that notice is at least as large as the largest text on the document. So don't use 12 or 14 point uh, typeface on the document and then reference your MSA in eight point, uh, right? Or eight or 10 point typeface. Don't set yourself up for a customer to say, I didn't see it, and no reasonable person would be expected to have seen that. Rule number three, and this is sort of a corollary to rule number two. Remember, rule number two was, we don't hide the existence of the master agreement. Rule number three is this, make sure that every quote, every statement of work, Every proposal, every binding document you provide to your customer references your MSA. Don't assume that because one SOW or one quote references your MSA, that no other similar document has to reference the MSA. Don't think that just because you did it one time, you don't have to do it every time. All of your documents must be consistent and uniform. They all need to reference your MSA. Don't tell me, well, you know, I didn't put the MSA reference in this statement of work because it was in uh, the three other statements of work that they signed. Listen to me. The existence of your MSA must be in every customer-facing document. Otherwise, you might have a situation where a customer says, I thought that this was a standalone thing. I didn't know this was governed under the MSA. And if you find yourself in that position, then you have to hire an attorney to settle the situation and that is a few thousand dollars you shouldn't have to spend. Rule number four, if you post your MSA, make sure the link works. Crazy as it sounds, simple as it sounds, make sure the link works. It's never a good situation when you try to hold a customer to the terms of an agreement that's supposed to be located at a particular URL, and it isn't there. If you send someone to an online agreement that isn't online, then you probably don't have any agreement at all. So from time to time, make sure your links are working. It's the smart thing to do. So 
How do you avoid getting things lost in translation? How do you make sure that your MSA that you created, that you paid to have created, the MSA that protects your company, how do you make sure that that applies to your services and can be enforced? Well, follow the rules. First, everyone must accept your master agreement before you touch a system. Second, you do not hide the existence of your master agreement. Third, you remind your customers of the existence of your master agreement in every customer-facing document. And fourth, make sure an online document is actually available online exactly where you said it would be. Don't be a victim to the lost-in-translation situation. Follow my rules, and you'll be able to focus on your business instead of dealing with legal woes and mismanaged expectations. That's it for this week. We'll see you on the next Technology Broadcast.